My guest today, Ian Crane, is an ex-oil field executive and writes on the geopolitical webs that are being spun, with particular focus on US hegemony and the NWO agenda for control of global resources. Since 2007, he's focused his efforts on raising public awareness of the pernicious attack on the global population in the name of corporate globalization and harmonization with particular focus on the excesses of Codex Alimentarius. He's an independent researcher and completely self-funded. Prior to his retirement from the corporate arena, he's enjoyed a career of over 25 years in telecommunications and international oil field services, a career that provided the opportunity to live and work in the UK, continental Europe, the Middle East and Houston, Texas. I'm also joined by Patrick O'Brien, veteran investigative journalist from Florida in the United States, to discuss the aftermath in Japan's worst natural disaster. During this terrible time for the Japanese people, we send condolences and tributes to those who suffered the worst natural disaster on record. Ian Crane and Patrick O'Brien Join me today on In Discussion. Welcome to In Discussion today, and my guests Ian Crane from the United Kingdom and Patrick O'Brien from Florida. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi, David. Always good to be with you, David. Before we start the program, I'm sure that you will join me, gentlemen, in sending condolences and tributes to those people of Japan who have suffered dreadfully from the recent earthquake and subsequent tsunami that is creating dreadful uncertainty for them and I am sure now for the entire world. Ian, as you know, we have been covering many events across the world, most significantly the aftermath of the Deepwater Horizon disaster in the Gulf of Mexico, to which we should thank you for participating in recent programs. And we have certainly made much progress in helping people to overcome those dreadful circumstances that they now find themselves in. Turning to Japan now, what are your immediate thoughts as we travel through the aftermath of this dreadful disaster? Hi, David. Yeah, um, first of all, of course, I absolutely uh, concur and uh, endorse your sentiments. I mean, our, our hearts and uh, thoughts are, you know, with the, uh, the people and the families of the people that have been caught up in this disaster. And, uh, you know, here we are uh, almost exactly 11 months after the BP Deepwater Horizon event. And, uh, of course, as you rightly say, we've spent a number of hours discussing that over the past few months. And, and now this. And, um, you know, of course, the, the magnitude of this disaster, the immediate magnitude anyway, of course, is far greater than, uh, than that of the BP Deepwater Horizon event. Um, but the the aftermath uh, as well may also be absolutely devastating, and the two events combined, because as we know, the BP Deepwater Horizon um, uh, disaster, uh, the legacy is, is still very much with us. But the legacy of what's occurring uh, in the Pacific Rim right now may uh, may obviously be uh, be of far greater magnitude. And, and regardless of what caused the events, and I'm sure we'll get onto that in a little while, I mean, we are talking here massive, massive population reduction, both in terms of the immediate hit 
and what is potentially now coming across the Pacific in the Gulf Stream. Certainly we have been identifying over the last year the aftermath of Haiti as well as the Gulf of Mexico, Ian. We rebroadcast a program June 10th of last year. For whatever reason, we were pretty close to the realities and accurate in forecasting that it would indeed be the Corexit materials that could cause the problems. The strange thing about it is a couple of things before I allow you to continue is, number one, we have brought now some help to our friends in Haiti who came on to the program recently. We managed to find a Brazilian organization who's going to provide doctors and nurses to the Gonavive region in northwest Haiti. And this is something that Pat O'Brien had begun many months ago. And then we see the Gulf of Mexico. And the irony, of course, is that as these almost prophecies, I would say, play out, of course, we see the other issues and the other problems uh, fall back into the shadows. And that is uh, the irony of how this does play out, of course. But looking at Japan, funnily enough, I did talk to a very close friend of mine in Phoenix about an hour ago on the phone, and fairly asleep in these things, but he actually indicated to me that this was prophecy playing out, indeed, and Japan was probably just the beginning of it. Prophecy or not, how do you see this, Ian, in the bigger picture surely this is going to have a massive impact on the world economy and looking at it it would suggest to me very strongly that japan at this stage is shattered as a nation and it's going to be extremely difficult to rebuild its infrastructure not in months but could take years even in, indeed if they manage to do that given the problems with the nuclear disaster that is currently on their hands I think you're, you're right, David. Um, I, I mean, the one thing that uh, we should never underestimate is the ability of uh, humanity to pull together uh, in times of great trauma and great stress. And uh, so whilst the, uh, the, the aftermath of this, and I don't think that by any stretch of the imagination the, uh, the event is over, I mean, I think we may even you know, be on the brink of, uh, of something even more catastrophic. Um, but you know the reality is that, uh, that those who survive these events, um, you know, will come together and uh, you know will unite to do whatever it takes to to redress the situation and uh, and rebuild. And you know, in in the I guess to some extent, if we you know liken this to the uh, alchemical process, you know, one of the um, critical parts of the alchemical process is solvere coagular. You know, which uh, unfortunately literally means that you must destroy to be able to rebuild. And I think that, uh, you know, in, in, from a number of perspectives, you know, we, we are very much going through this process. You know, whether, whether it is by design, whether it is by a combination of design and nature. And, and I don't doubt for one moment that there are those uh, who will endeavor to maximize whatever advantage they can out of these events and uh, but hopefully in doing so that they will actually uh, show themselves and uh, be expose themselves as it were and, and more and more people will actually recognize them for, for what they are which is certainly not benign or benevolent towards humanity so you know we shouldn't necessarily look on this as a, as a complete travesty um, you know obviously it is terrible and traumatic 
uh, and particularly, of course, for those who are caught up directly in it. But, uh, you know, as with all trauma, then, you know, there is also the, uh, the possibility and potential for, for great opportunity. And I can look at prophecy, and we have many prophecies today. Uh, you can look at Mayan prophecy and many others. And one has to be very careful, of course, with this. But it is clear that we are building up to something in the year 2012. But what is it that's underneath all of this would be the question, and how could we alert people to start making provisions? I'm all for solutions in these programs, but I'm also alert enough and, and connected enough to know that, as you say, there are greater um, occurrences that are bound to happen after this. I can see two of them possibly, given that Japan is the third largest economy in the world, that that ha can have an impact. But also we are now looking at a catastrophic event with the meltdown of these reactors. I'm not sure that as with Chernobyl we are receiving the real information. What should people be looking at with this? We're hearing this morning from some sources that the radiation could impact the United States. If this is accurate, how should we plan for this, Ian? Well, it, it certainly seems that there's a, from what I can, um, uh, can surmise from my research uh, through the day, uh, there's a hell of a difference between the information that's being put out by the Canadian media and, and that which isn't being put out by the US media. I mean, the Canadian media seems to be quite open in the fact that there is the risk, there is the potential for um, uh, high levels of radioactivity to be transported across to the west coast of Canada with the, uh, the Gulf Stream. Um, and in the US, from what I can gather, and correct me if you, th if you think I've missed something, David, but from what I can gather, the the actual amount of information coming from the U.S. Uh, regarding this possible threat is, is minimal. Well, I'm very surprised, Ian, listening to the media, and particularly very connected and focused upon the BBC as a news outlet, that this morning they're talking about a recovery in Japan by the third quarter of this year, which I think, frankly, is very inappropriate. Uh, notwithstanding whether that's wrong or right, given the humanitarian crisis that we see over there. But also, clearly, it is a concern now, very calmly, to look at this and wonder why we are not hearing anything on the possible ramifications of a radioactive fallout. Would it not be better for us to err on the side of caution and prepare people for this rather than remain extremely quiet about it. Oh, absolutely. And uh, by the way, um, you know, while, whilst the BBC may still be revered um, in various uh, posts around the world, in the, in the UK, I mean, the BBC is now regarded as the uh, British BS Corporation because you know, there is very little in the way of real fact that comes out of the BBC anymore. I mean, the BBC is basically a propaganda tool. Um, so, you know, I don't think that uh, any, anyone should really put too much store in uh, what the BBC World Service puts out. And th there's no question that what it does put out will be very much based upon uh, UK Limited's vested interests. So, that, that aside, 
I think that uh, you're absolutely right. I would concur with you that, uh, you know, without necessarily, it's a question of trying to find that fine balance. I was going to say without necessarily creating panic. But the reality is that, uh, you know, unfortunately, some people will panic because they have, you know, no preparation for, for what's occurring here. The, the potential fallout, literally and metaphorically, from this event is so far beyond the bounds of many people's perception they can't even begin to get their heads around, you know, what's occurring and let alone what to do about it. So, yeah, I think that the alternative news network, such as uh, your good self, uh, certainly has an opportunity here to pick up the gauntlet and, and start to, to encourage people um, to take a, a look at um, this situation for themselves and come to their own realization of what's occurring. Now, you know, what, we're, what we are potentially looking at is very significant radioactive fallout of um, uh, alpha, beta, and gamma, uh, which are X-rays, of course, um, and and uh, the the difficulty is that the, in fact the it's the gamma rays that can actually be potentially lethal. I mean, the, the alpha and the the beta uh, radioactivity is tended to be carried in dust, whereas uh, you know so basically, if you can avoid breathing it, then you know you, you're actually uh, going a long way to. Um, minimizing your your risk and exposure, but um, with the gamma rays, you've really got to get uh, some protection um, between you and that fallout, which really means you know creating some kind of uh, of shelter, um, and and the ideal shelter would be you know sort of below ground level. It would be in a basement, and uh, and ideally it would have you know, certainly uh, not just brick, but a, also a layer of earth. Um, over the top of it, so and and I mean the the great tragedy is that depending on the uh, the, the Gulf Stream, the Pacific Stream, I mean we we couldn't even predict exactly where it might hit. I mean it it, it certainly I would say probably has the Aleutian Islands at risk and maybe the west coast of Alaska, but then the 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 stream has a tendency to divide, um, and it could hit the Canadian west coast. Or it could come right down as far as uh, as California, and, and make landfall in um, you know on the San Francisco, the Bay Area, right down to L.A. Uh, but it probably wouldn't get as far as the Baja Peninsula because the uh, the stream tends to take a different course there. Uh, and then, of course, for the for the rest of America, I mean, at least it has the Rockies, if you like, as some kind of uh, of, of protection to soak up a lot of this. So it, it really is the area west of the Rockies that uh, is potentially at, um, at greater risk here. Uh, any news agency who is going to go out here with the premise of telling everybody to move east uh, it would be creating absolute panic. But nevertheless, what I don't understand is, is why we're not getting more information on this. It seems that the general information that I'm receiving is that it takes between three and seven days for anything to reach this land mass. Even if it doesn't, and even if it's minimal, one would think that there would be a release of information from the government to talk about this. And this is what worries me, Ian, is that we have seen it evident, as in the Gulf of Mexico, that there is a reluctance to say anything, if probably nothing at all. As far as the economy is concerned, though, let's turn to that. The economy of Japan is very important 
in the global financial sectors. If indeed it is going to affect the manufacturing, the industry, the infrastructure of Japan, what, if any, is the impact going to be on the global markets? Well, it's going to be very interesting, isn't it? In fact, I must confess that I was expecting to see a little more movement in the markets today than uh, than I have. Um, so it would seem that uh, there isn't perhaps the panic selling that uh, I had perhaps anticipated might occur when Wall Street opened this morning. And and also the price of gold hasn't moved that significantly. I mean, I had a sense that it might actually push up well above 1450 today on the back of what's occurred, but uh, at this particular moment that hasn't happened. But uh, what could happen is, is certainly... Um, many of the Japanese investors could pull out of uh, Wall Street in particular and indeed London as well in, in an effort to uh, establish some liquidity to to enable them to uh, crack on with their their rebuilding program um, but that that still may come of course once the the magnitude of the of the damage has been you know, fully uh, fully realized really it is I mean obviously it's very very difficult to say but you, you're right I mean obviously it's not the whole of Japan. I mean, it is it is the you know the northeastern um, coastal area which um, uh, has borne the brunt of this. So the re the reality is that the rest of Japan right now uh, is functioning relatively normally. So you know I don't necessarily think there's going to be perhaps uh, the the massive impact on the markets that uh, perhaps people have expected, unless and this is the real issue. I think this is the big issue. You know, I was looking at um, at uh, some seismic surveys on the Pacific Rim on March the 9th. And I have to say that, uh, um, you know, the Pacific Rim was alive. And in fact, uh, you know, the report I was uh, looking at was produced by a very experienced seismologist who, who was basically saying that we're on the brink of something very big here um, because he'd never seen uh, the whole of the rim you know, so lit up, as it were, with uh, with seismic activity. Now, if if there is still a major shock to come in the Pacific, you know, this may have only actually been the uh, the precursor. Coupled with which, we know very well that FEMA is anticipating a major earthquake down the New Madrid fault line. You know, which basically comes right through the Midwest, and. I mean, so much so that FEMA ordered, I think it was uh, something in the region of a billion pre-packed meals, which they put out the bid for at the beginning of February, and they wanted delivered by March the 15th. So FEMA are, are certainly planning for, for an event of some significance sometime after March the 15th. Um, so... And then, then we've got other forecasts. I mean, I was looking at something early today which was suggesting that the seismic activity in the Yellowstone area is uh, actually um, you know, quite significant. So, you know, that actually may be, I mean, consider the possibility that, uh, you know, the seismologists within the U.S. are looking at this and, you know, they're taking the call that, well, you know, if we move people across the Rockies to get out of the way of the radioactivity, we might actually be moving them into... Uh, two potential major earthquake zones, you know, Yellowstone and uh, and New Madrid. So right now, you know, I, I could potentially see that uh, the uh, uh, officials who are tasked with looking after um, the civil population 
maybe on the horns of the proverbial dilemma. Ped O'Brien coming in here, you are in Florida and engaged very heavily with the BP issues and the programs that we've been working on together for many months. Are people in your area studying these latest events in Japan and concerned about it, or are things running as usual? I think for the most part, and again, I haven't talked to many people in Florida, believe it or not. Uh, today I've been speaking with people all over the world, but not Florida. Um, the news, local news media uh, has not picked up uh, much about it. Uh, we are, of course, on the cable network seeing kind of conflicting reports, um, and I agree with Ian, uh, the Canadian news has been much forthcoming uh, than what we're seeing here in America. I was just on a call just prior to um, this one for over an hour listening to broadcasters and print people, uh, journalists from around the United States calling in to a one number to discuss this very issue. And for a whole hour, I listened to people who came on and said, well, we got to get away from nuclear power. We've got to get away. Joe Lieberman is uh, uh, standing up and uh, uh, talking about not uh, having any more uh, plants is the right way to go. Uh, they're more concerned about the the uh, energy plants and and being able to stop them from uh, being constructed than they are from um, anything else. Uh, they're they're not really talking about the news story of Japan. They were talking about what can we do to stop the energy flow here. And I made a a lady brought up from Florida here brought brought up how quickly the news media jumps. We went from Haiti uh, and and the disaster there, and and uh, we look back at Haiti now, and really absolutely nothing has changed from day one in the Haiti disaster. Matter of fact, people are living in even more squalor now than they are uh, or did right after the earthquake. Uh, it was beautiful news, by the way, to hear that Ganavive is going to get some help finally. They're a, a community that has separated themselves from the rest of the country by uh, trying to become more independent and relying on themselves in growing their own food and uh, educating their people and uh, it's a wonderful community uh, a faith-based community that's uh, there just north of the capital uh, then you look at what's going on with uh, the the BP uh, disaster um, how quickly the news media moved off from that one and here we know of thousands of people that are sick, people that you and I have talked to, David. We just re-aired the uh, uh, program last Friday that you were talking about earlier, and really nothing has changed there other than it is getting worse. More people are getting ill from the toxic Corexit product. And, uh, you know, they, we, we quickly, as news media, look for another cycle uh, to jump on rather than sticking with these events and being able to try to get the government at least to take care of them one at a time. Uh, they're not taking care of anything and it does not surprise me 
that the government has not come out at all today to speak to this situation of what could be a major disaster on the West Coast, and especially we forget we have a little state called Hawaii out there. Uh, it is one of the states, after all, who is even more going to be exposed to this situation if these rods really burn through, like we have been hearing is the possibility of at least in one plant. And it's not just one plant that we're looking at. There are several that are involved in this Japan deal that could get to that stage and cause a real major situation. Yet our government, again, is sitting on its hands and not doing anything. It's just like the BP story. Go along. There's nothing here to see anymore. And that was in end of summer. They were saying, hey, the fish is good to eat and the health is everything is good. Uh, but wait a minute, it isn't, and we're being lied to every step of the way. This jet stream, uh, I just looked at a number of maps of the jet stream coming through from Japan, and frankly, what is going on is um, they're saying this thing could be into, into the west coast of the U.S. as soon as uh, 36 to, um, uh, hours to a week, depending on the winds. Uh, we don't know what's really going to happen here. And it's a, a pretty dangerous um, situation not to give anybody a heads up whatsoever. On the other hand, um, what happens if we try to panic the people of the West Coast and have everybody trying to move across the mountains into the East Coast? What kind of a problem would that create? A very fine line that the media and the government, of course, has to walk in this particular case, but they could give us some idea of what we could do to protect ourselves if the worst case scenario happens out of Japan, and we're not hearing anything out of our government. Ian Crane, your response to that? No, I absolutely concur. I mean, uh, I think that BP um, and Halliburton and Transocean are uh, probably absolutely uh, giving each other high fives at the moment because they can't believe their good fortune that something of this magnitude has occurred which has effectively taken any remaining focus and there wasn't much anyway as we've discussed before but taken any remaining focus away from the Gulf Coast and uh, as uh, Pat rightly says I mean you know we all know that uh, the magnitude of that disaster is, is certainly not getting any less um, as, as for um, you know the, the people on the West uh, I mean, it's a very, very tough decision, and it's exactly the same, perhaps, as the people of the Gulf Coast had to face, you know, really, well, and maybe even still have to face, but certainly had to face through um, May and June and July last year. And, and I think that, uh, you know, for those people who have ready access to the, uh, to the resources are probably already making plans to move across to the other side of the Rockies. Um, you know, just because we have a, a sheer unknown. In fact, the reality is that we have more knowns here than we did in the Gulf Coast. Because in the Gulf Coast, what we thought we were dealing with was an oil disaster. Of course, that, that was exacerbated dramatically with the addition of the, uh, the Corexit. And it's the oil Corexit mix that is uh, you know, uh, really causing the, the magnitude of the problems today, rather than just the, the pure oil. But at least with um, uh, the, the situation from Japan, I mean, we know what we're dealing with here. You know, we know 
that there is the risk of further earthquake activity. On the 17th of March, which was the date that many, many people predicted that if there was going to be any tectonic activity, this was most likely the day, because this is the day when the moon becomes closest to Earth in its, uh, in its orbit. So uh, I, I don't, you know, we're certainly not out of the woods in terms of tectonic activity. You know, now that and of course that can cause another tsunami in a different part of the, uh, the Pacific, and which could, of course, then affect other parts of Japan or other Pacific countries, and indeed uh, Hawaii. I think, you know, looking at the uh, Gulf Stream maps this afternoon, I think Hawaii is probably in better shape, actually, than the, the West Coast, because from what I can see, the, uh, the Gulf Stream is actually taking, or will take this fallout north which is why it's the Aleutian Islands that uh, will get it uh, probably before anybody else. And then as it arcs its way down across, um, down the, uh, the western seaboard, it's really a question of where it makes landfall. Um, and like we said earlier, it could make it as far north as, uh, as Canada, or it may not actually make landfall until it gets down to um, southern California. Uh, although probably not, looking at uh, historical maps, it, it would seem that it would not go as far as the Baja Peninsula. So, you know, maybe the Baja Peninsula is, uh, is another potential option as opposed to trekking right across the, uh, um, the Rockies. Obviously, potassium iodide is also uh, a factor here. And like you've probably correctly identified, it would seem that there's been some potential profiteering um, with the, the, the black marketeers buying up all of the sources of potassium iodide and then obviously later this week it being made available at uh, phenomenal premiums. But if people can get hold of potassium iodide then they certainly, I, I would suggest, they certainly need to look at that uh, uh, option sooner rather than later. I think that you know, in terms of practical advice it's consider the possibility of, of moving south or east or if you, if you do have the capability to, um, maybe you've got a basement in your property or whatever, then uh, you, you're not going to hear me make uh, too many recommendations about FEMA, that's for sure. But uh, FEMA have produced um, some, some um, guides as to uh, what people can do in terms of lining nuclear fallout shelters, you know, to, to minimize the risk. And, and these are mainly... Uh, these are shelters aimed at pr protecting people from the radioactive dust, which which carries the um, the alpha and the beta um, radioactivity. Um, but then it's the getting underground and and getting some kind of um, barrier between yourself and the uh, the outer air, because that's what protects you against the gamma rays. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. You know, earth soil is is probably you know the best protection. Um, but, uh, you know, beyond that, um, well, I guess it's whatever you can lay your hands on. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to avoid the situation here of sort of creating the fear. I'm just looking at the, the practicalities of the situation. What would I do if I was there with my family right now? To be frank, I'd be on a plane. Of course, we have not really talked about the position of the Japanese people who are located very close to these plants. Um, our thoughts must be with them today because clearly under those conditions looking at it politically and looking at it in terms of uh, survival as far as infrastructure is concerned 
is the country capable of returning back to normal operating conditions in any short time here? Oh, I'm sure it can. Like I said, I mean, let's never underestimate the ability of, uh, of people to, uh, to really pull together when the, when the chips are down. I mean, a, a couple of things that are, are to the advantage of the people in Japan, not least, I mean, and this is the disadvantage of people obviously in the West Coast, but the prevailing winds do take the radioactivity away off, off the coast. I mean, if these, uh, if these nuclear stations were, um, or the earthquake had hit on the eastern side of the country, sorry, on the western side of the country, western side of Japan, I mean, that would be a, a different ball game. But, I mean, these are on the east, eastern seaboard. The prevailing winds are carrying the, uh, the radioactivity mat material. They're carrying it east over to the western seaboard of the U.S. Um, I mean, I think that the Japanese government have uh, um, established ever-increasing exclusion zones, and I'm sure they're getting the appropriate uh, advice from you know, various uh, nuclear experts from all around the world and, and are, are, uh, are pulling together, you know, the, the appropriate information. So having established the, um, uh, the evacuation zones around the, uh, these facilities, just as occurred in, uh, in Chernobyl, then, you know, I'm sure they're actually doing their absolute utmost to, to minimize the, uh, the impact. But, you know, just like Chernobyl, um, just like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you know, are we going to know the real impact anytime soon? You know, we could be looking at something here that is going to impact on future generations because, you know, we know for, from our previous experience that exposure to this stuff has terrible, terrible implications in terms of, um, you know, future generations including, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, birth deformity and, um, you know, DNA manipulation. So, you know, I think that this is something that's going to be with us for a long, long time. You know, David, the one thing that you know, obviously does strike me, you know, in some ways, and you, you've touched on the sort of prophecy aspect, but, you know, we, we are in a very similar situation as to, um, you know, the final days of Atlantis, or as much as we, we can know about Atlantis from Plato and mythology. But, uh, you know, Atlantis brought about its own destruction because of its, its own technological hubris. And, you know, maybe, maybe we're in a very similar uh, situation here. In, with BP, you know, we were, we were taking drilling technology to, uh, to literally new depths. Um, you know, with Japan's phenomenal reliance on um, nuclear energy, and it's not the only country in the world, of course, and... Um, you know, I think that uh, from what I can gather from my research, that certainly um, corners had been cut in terms of the, uh, the the construction of these power stations. And I've come across documentation from various seismologists and uh, and other um, you know nuclear uh, experts who had tried to warn the Japanese government uh, previously that these um, nuclear power stations uh, were not built to exacting enough standards and would be at risk in an event such as has just occurred. So, you know, once again, we got a situation where it was profit over safety and, um, and the health and well-being of, uh, of humanity. And, and this, this is something I think that, uh, you know, is, is potentially going to contribute dramatically to our, potentially, our own self-destruction here. It is this greed. You know, we, we've gone away from 
having any philosophy that focuses on the collective. You know, we've, we've embedded a philosophy that is totally focused on the self. I mean, it's greed, greed, and more freaking greed. And, uh, you know, here we are paying some, the, the ultimate price for it. Well, that raises the point, does it not, that we could be at a point now where the activists, those who are looking towards the end of fossil fuels, and now, of course, a great excuse to hit upon nuclear energy, to actually take some action here, would this not be a very good time to bring these dreadful sources of energy down? Well, hey, I think that, uh, you know, we... We've, we do certainly have that opportunity. Um, you know, we know that there is much in the way of suppressed technology. You know, I mean, it's outrageous that for our primary mode of transport, we're ostensibly reliant on a 19th century um, means of, uh, of, of powering our, our uh, transportation. Um, we know that uh, there are many other alternatives, cleaner alternatives, but they are deliberately suppressed primarily because the hydrocarbons industry has an infrastructure that can produce 95 million barrels or so a day and it needs to sell it. Um, added to which, of course, governments, particularly those in uh, Europe, uh, governments have yet to find a way that is quite so efficient in terms of uh, tax generation as, the, uh, as selling hydrocarbons. You know, here we are in Europe where we are paying the, the uh, equivalent of nearly two bucks for uh, a, a litre, as is two dollars a litre. So we're looking at, you know, close on nearly uh, nine dollars a gallon, nine dollars a gallon here. And the bulk of that is tax. And, and, and it's another reason why alternative energy sources are suppressed, just as um, efficient injection systems are suppressed because you know the technology exists for vehicles to return 100 plus miles a gallon but the technology is deliberately suppressed because the oil industry and governments need people to buy the uh, the hydrocarbon products so yes we we certainly perhaps should uh, be looking much more to get away from that and nuclear energy well you know i i'm a little bit ambivalent here because i can certainly see the potential of um, nuclear technology but you know where it lets itself down is the fact that over uh, at the end of the day greed tends to to rule and instead of producing something or uh, manufacturing a, a power station to the nth degree of safety standards corners are cut and when an event like this occurs you know those those um, uh, shortcomings are woefully exposed so yeah, I think that you know really it's all part of uh, it's all part of our process of metanoia, if you like, on a on a global basis. We have a tremendous opportunity here to completely revisit the way in which we view everything, the way in which we review our relationship with the economy, our relationship with the, with the planet, and, and indeed our relationship with each other. Because you know if we continue down this existing paradigm. And I'm not an eschatologist per se, but if we continue down this existing paradigm, then the reality is it is totally unsustainable and something has to give. Alternatively, you know, we actually have an opportunity to get smart, recognize that you know, the existing paradigm is not sustainable 
and uh, apply the appropriate degree of creativity to, uh, to find a way through this. And um, I'm just not sure that right now there is the will to do that. Let's look at the general situation across the world. We have a lot of upheaval in the Middle East. Certainly, I think it's recognized that if this hits Saudi Arabia, we certainly will be looking at a, another huge depth of problems, and I suspect it will. And then, of course, if it does spread to the European Union, which may occur through Spain, through the Union activity. And then we look at Japan, uh, we look at Haiti, we look at what has occurred in New Zealand. This is a fairly poor picture at this stage, Ian. Nevertheless, as you say, opportunity can always be disguised as loss. Is this an awakening of consciousness now that will come together? Or could it turn out to be another revolution that we ha may have seen back in 1924 and all of those um, other events in the past where we've seen those who wish to change the world actually become the mechanism of which they wish to replace. How do you see that? Well, it could. I mean, there's so many possible scenarios here. I, I mean, you know, there's still a hell of a lot of people, particularly in Western Europe, and I'm sure in the US as well, who are misled by the media reports that you know, what's occurring in the Middle East is a popular uprising. Um, and I think that uh, you know that is extremely premature. It, it is fairly evident to me that much of what is occurring in the in the Middle East is being manipulated. Now, there's no question the manipulators are are utilising the unrest amongst the population, but this is not um, unrest that has uh, manufactured or been manufactured spontaneously. It is, it is unrest that has been deliberately manufactured to bring down existing regimes who are not playing ball with the World Bank and the IMF in particular. And, and it's, a, it's a ruse to get World Bank IMF puppets into these countries. And one of the reasons for doing this is because the World Bank and the IMF do not like Islamic banking philosophy, which of course does not permit usury. So, you know, there is way more to uh, what's occurring in the Middle East than is being presented in the, in the media. And, but that, that's a little bit sort of, um, you know, off, uh, off topic for today. But suffice to say that, once again, the, uh, the, you know, the Western European media, and I'm sure many of the manipulators uh, who are writing and, and acting out the scripts in these uh, Middle Eastern countries, are ecstatic that something of this order of magnitude has occurred in the in the uh, Pacific region to take Libya and Egypt and Saudi Arabia off of the front pages so that those dramas can unfold you know outside of um, media and public scrutiny so you know there's no question that you know we are in a, a time of phenomenal change I mean, I mean we sense it in in Europe I mean, I'm going back to Ireland to do a series of, uh, of talks in Ireland, uh, you know, where I'm going to specifically be addressing, you know, the way in which the, the World Bank and the IMF have, have pillaged Irish natural and national resources. And, uh, you know, th this, um, uh, this has been played out really right across Europe, but Ireland's very much on, on point here. But so it's, it's an opportunity for the Irish people to either roll over and, 
and subject themselves and future generations to abject economic slavery or to actually uh, get angry and, and do something about it. And I think this is, this is what potentially could occur right across the world where people say, hang on a goddamn second, you know, this global leadership, everything they do basically turns to crap and it doesn't need to. You know, because it's, a, it's um, an economy that's based on greed of a very select few and the abject economic slavery of the rest of the population. And by the way, as we've discussed before, they, they believe that the rest of the population is too large a number and they are determined to reduce that, uh, that number. They're well on track to, to achieve their goal in a, actually a relatively short time scale. And, and everything that's occurring here in the Gulf of Mexico and now, of course, in, um, in the Pacific Rim area is certainly going to contribute to that agenda. These are population reduction events. The Gulf Coast, as you know, David, in my opinion, was wholly manufactured. The jury is still out as to whether the event in um, the Pacific Rim is, is wholly natural or has been aided by unseen hands. Pat O'Brien, your final response to those issues? I happen to concur uh, totally with Ian. Um, there is uh, definitely something more than what we're uh, hearing and seeing in our media uh, that is going on with this. And I am in a, in a place myself where um, I feel it really doesn't matter, even if you've got that plane ticket, Ian, where you could go to be uh, not affected by what is going on on the planet today. Um, it's a matter that uh, I, I think I was on a, another call of people that were trying to figure out a way through these painful um, things that we're in. and it left it pretty much to prayer and uh, I think that's going to be a part of it it's it's good to work on science but I think you we also have to um, look up to whoever our, our God is and uh, be praying our way through this as well and that that will bring the community together that's going to be necessary to take the action uh, to make this a, a better planet again um, it's going to take a lot of guts to make this uh, even close to where it was. And I think it can come together with all of us working together to make it happen. Ian Crane, thoughts and advice for people today listening to the program in evaluating where we all need to go next. I absolutely concur with Pat. I mean, we've, you know, we obviously... Um we must absolutely focus on what's occurring in the physical realm and address that. But um, there is no question either in my mind that, uh, you know, we, we do need to be calling on whatever help we can from, you know, wherever it may come. And, and as Pat rightly says, you know, whatever your individual belief system, what we've got to focus on now is what unites us, not what divides us. You know, the, the artificial that is like the left-right fake political paradigm you know, the, the Christian-Muslim fake religious paradigm. I know that's heresy probably to many people. But in reality, in reality, it's part of a, a fake division mechanism that is used to divide us. 
and to prevent us from recognizing the fact that we have far more in common than we do have differences but we're encouraged to focus on those those differences you know I've lived and worked in the Middle East and uh, let me tell you David that you know when my family there were in the Middle East and I had to uh, leave them for six months to, uh, to take on a project in Europe and I gave them the choice I said look you know you can either come live in Europe or you can stay in uh, in the Middle East and they didn't hesitate for a second they said we'll stay in the Middle East because that was the area where they felt safest you know they, they felt uh, very comfortable so you know all of the demonization that goes on um, about the uh, you know the Muslim peoples is is totally totally um, inappropriate but you know it's used it's used by the, the powers that be and the mainstream media to perpetuate these artificial divisions and I think that you know what we're gonna see over the coming weeks and months or maybe even the next days weeks and months is uh, is a series of events which is gonna call upon us to very much put these divisions to one side and the only thing that should concern us is is our underlying philosophy benevolent to our fellow man or not and and that's what we need to uh, to be addressing and again today we send our condolences to the people of Japan we wish them to know that we are with them they are in our hearts and we will always support them and watch them closely as these days play out we shall be pushing for their return back to a normality Ian Crane, Pat O'Brien I do thank you for joining me today thank you David thank you David thanks a lot and to our listeners today, I do hope that you gained valuable information from these programs. You can gain information for this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.